So one of the things I said to myself when I quit my job to become a remote worker and try and experience some of the world was to gain some practical wisdom. And for anyone who knows the breathing industry or has been in the breathing industry, they've heard of a guy called Brian McKenzie. Brian McKenzie is uh, one of the founders of uh, Shift Adapt and the Health and Human, Human and Health and Performance uh, Foundation who look at breath as a means for performance but also looking at health as well. And he's a guy who's been in the industry for maybe 10 or so years, even longer, I believe. And I took something away from what he said a little while ago. And one of my friend's fathers uh, years back said, if you ever want to learn something, you either go to the best university to study that or you go to the best place to study that. His son went to New Zealand to learn rugby and became an England international in rugby and went on to become a captain. Now Brian McKenzie says if you want to learn about breathing, you go to the free divers. So that's what I did. My first island that I stopped on was Nusa Penida in uh, Bali, Indonesia. And I had the opportunity to sit down with Kirill from Freedive Nusa. He's an instructor, he's been a yogi for many years and he's been now in the uh, freedive industry for, I believe, over seven years. And in this interview, we delved into all topics in terms of what we can do for breathing, how to settle the mind, advanced freediving, the stages you can go through, but some of the things that came up are very, very relevant for everyday life. Things like becoming an observer of the mind, Things like keeping your body healthy, the difference between pain and suffering. All these things are transferable. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. It was awesome to go and do some yoga and go to do some high intensity workouts and to sit down with Carol and really pick his brains. So I hope you enjoyed this. And if you, enjoy, if you do enjoy, make sure you subscribe below. And thank you very much. Okay, Kiro, thank you very much. This is actually going to be episode 51 of the, uh, the Performance Through Health podcast. And this is something special. It's the first one outdoors, first one in Indonesia. And I get the pleasure to speak to, uh, to yourself about freediving, your journey, um, delving into a bit of breath and, and the con some of the concepts that you use here as freedivers to perhaps learn from you to push that into what I do online with helping people with stress and anxiety. So first, just give a bit of, a, of your background and maybe some of your story, where you grew up, how you got into yoga, because we've done some fantastic yoga this morning that I've got some questions on, and then moving on into um, how you went, then that led into freediving. Okay, uh, so my name is Kirill, and I was born in South Russia, between two seeds, the Captain Sea and the Black Sea, but I couldn't swim. Until I started free diving, I couldn't swim. And uh, it's funny, I was growing uh, up in semi desert and it was no possibility to swim. And uh, I got my master's degree there and then I moved to St. Petersburg. And from 2006, I started to live in St. Petersburg. And then, because I was a computer engineer, uh, in 2010, me and my uh, wife, we started to live in Asia, and I was working remotely. At that time, it was not so popular as now. 
It was no definition like a digital nomad. So how many years ago was this now? This year will be 12, uh, at the end of this year will be 12 years. So one of the pioneers of remote workers. Yeah, <laughs> one of the first uh, digital nomads. Yeah. <laughs> so our first country was Thailand. And in 2000, end of 2011, I just uh, watched some video on YouTube about freediving. Probably the first video was uh, um, Freefall by Guillaume Neri, yeah, one okay. of the most popular video, and uh, I know few other freedivers who started freediving after that video. So for me, it changed everything for sure. And I moved uh, to Kotao, this is a small island in um, Thailand, for my first freediving course. It was in January 2012. Mm. And then I uh, I was falling in love in freediving, and actually before I was not. Um, Sport person and not so fit person, let's say. I was typical uh, computer engineer, typical nerd. Yeah. Was hated people. <laughs> was like on the computers and so on. And then free diving. I can tell that free diving completely changed my life. So I started to do yoga. I started to do swimming. Uh, as I told, when I started free diving, I couldn't really swim. Like I maybe mm. could swim 50 meters and then dive. But two years after, I participated in uh, five kilometers open water swim and took second place there. Oh, wow. Uh, and it was very surprised for everyone. It was in cold water in North Russia. Uh, How cold are we talking uh, there? It was about 16 or 70 degrees. Oh. Uh, temperature of water. But we used the refuse. Of yeah, course. of course, yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, also... Uh, with um, free diving, I started to do, uh, start to practice uh, yoga mm -hmm. first time. I tried some yoga before, but it was not regular. Uh, but at the end of 2012, we were living in Dahab in Egypt, and I was participated in my first uh, Ashtanga yoga seminar. And I, it was very hard actually for one week after, it was pain everywhere. Uh, it was like terrible, painful, and so on, but we liked it a lot, and we started to practice Ashtanga. So since uh, 2012 or 13, 2013, I'm practicing Ashtanga Vinyasa for myself. Mm -hmm. And a uh, couple of years ago, I also became officially a yoga teacher. But I don't do really, I don't position myself as a yoga teacher, yep. but we use yoga as a tool for freedivers, and we do practicing here yoga, but I don't really teach a lot, hmm. separate yoga classes. Like yeah. Me. Yeah, okay. So what was it, you said that when you first started doing freediving, you, you, you fell in love with it. What was it that stood out to you to make you go into that avenue, coming from someone who wasn't, as you just said, an athletic individual, all of a sudden it just set off a spark. What would you say freediving means to you and why was that the reason you went down it? Uh, actually, when I started free diving, I already did some scuba diving, and I liked scuba diving. But what I didn't like, it was not enough freedom for me, let's say, the equipment mm -hmm. and so on. And I didn't have any fears uh, connected to the water, so it was easy for me. Uh, the, the main limitation for me was my uh, performance, because uh, as I told, I was not fit person. So my first level and my second level, they were quite easy. But when I started my master course, which is one month internship, it was really hard. It was 
one of the hardest experiences in my life probably my body like was destroyed mm -hmm. every evening when I came uh, back home after the training day I had almost fever I couldn't sleep really? at the same time I had remote job so I had to work and it was uh, in just two weeks I lost about 10 kilos and when my wife came to visit me, <laughs> she, she was very surprised, like, what happened? She didn't recognize me. So this was your freedive masters? Yeah, it was my master course. One, yeah, okay. Master course. But uh, when I started, what I really like, usually when I tell about freediving, I tell about two sides of freediving. Let's say one side, it, I call it inner freediving. This is your personal experience which you have. For example, when you, when you do line training, you see nothing. You see on the rope going one way and then going other way. Yeah. You see just the blue and nothing else. But that, uh, these feelings which you have and this experience which you have underwater, it is very valuable. And uh, I personally dive not for numbers, I'm not in the theater. Mm -hmm. I dive for this experience. Yeah. I dive for these feelings and for that uh, silence which you can find at the depth. And this is what makes uh, freediving very connected to all um, kind of mind practices, yeah. like meditation, yoga nidra, or whatever. So, and I practice. I started to practice meditation as well after freediving. I was I'm practicing vipassana meditation, which also kind of form form of hard meditation. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, the other side of freediving, uh, when you explore something outside. This is what makes it related to scuba diving. When you go and you look uh, to the manta rays, turtles, the fishes and so on. And uh, usually people think about this part and they compare free diving with scuba, scuba diving. Yeah. And uh, scuba divers quite often they like to tell like, ah, why you need free diving? I can take tank and I can spend one hour under the water. It doesn't make sense to do it on breath hold and so on. And it's true, I feel like scuba diving and sometimes I do it, but uh, the time it has different uh, value. Sometimes one minute can be more valuable than one hour. Mm. And uh, with free diving, of course, we spend less time under the water, but this time it's very valuable. And also we have much more freedom and you can interact with underwater life, you are not something um, you're not alien for yeah, yeah, yeah. underwater creatures and they can allow you to come much closer, you can swim one, together with manta rays, they're not three, scared by you, two, so it, one, yeah. it, it gives a lot of, lot of freedom. Let's say, if uh, we speak about Nusipanida, people come here to dive with um, manta rays and this is one of the highlights of Nusipanida. But for me, to dive with manta rays uh, with scuba, it is really boring, even I like scuba. Because you just sit and you do nothing. Mm. Just watching them, how they swim around. When you do it on free diving, you can swim together. You can feel their movement. You have yeah, you okay. much, have much more freedom and it is much, much more easy. There's more of a connection to it because more it's... More connection. You, you can really feel this movement. You can yep. swim with them together. You can move in any direction. So when people usually ask me, Again, I like scuba, and in some cases, like to see Mola, you have to use scuba. Yeah. But uh, when people ask me about manta rays, I told them, even they don't uh, do free diving yet, 
go into snorkeling. You will have more freedom because we can move. Especially if you are going to Manta Bay, for example, they are always moving. They're not uh, in Manta Point. They're connected and they stay close to. Uh, they stay around the cleaning area, steam stations. In Manta Bay, they're always moving. It's in a clean area, and you cannot follow them with scuba. It's just impossible. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yesterday, um, oh, was it yes? Was it yesterday? But then a the day before, sorry, I went out spearfishing um, with 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 Arta, and. Um, as I was diving, because I'd just done my advanced scuba diving course, so I'd done nine dives with a tank on my back, and pretty much all I can notice is my breath, like how how much I'm breathing. But then when you go down, when you dive, when you you've got no breath, there is like that, that eeriness of the silence, and it was it was beautiful just to to be able to hear the fizzing of the ocean and just the things around the ocean. There was one point where I couldn't equalize, and I ended up blowing my sinuses in my ear. But it, what I really, what I noticed and was really surprised about is when I was watching the fish and I was trying to equalize, when my ear popped and eventually did equalize, all the fish jumped. It was like they could hear the yeah. pressure change. They, they, or, they can hear the sound. Yeah. And I was like, what? That was like a, I was like, I thought it was just something in my ear and they could, they could, they, they all would like looked at me like, <laughs> like, like, you okay? <laughs> I had to come up. Unfortunately, I, my nose started bleeding, so I didn't dive down again. And I'm still a bit blocked in this ear now, but. Um, so I struggled with the equalization. That's something I probably should have come and learned to do before I went out spearfishing. <laughs> yeah, equalization is one of the main issues, and mm. a lot of the difficulties happen like yeah. connected to equalization. Yeah. So you, we've spoke before about free diving, and you believe that majority of people can dive up to 20 or 30 meters without any kind of advanced training. Uh, yeah, it's yeah, more yeah. just learning to relax. So what sort of things would you teach people to get them in, to, the, to the point where they're able to relax enough to hold their breath for long enough to get to 20, 30 meters? Well, actually, the, uh, always the education starting from uh, knowledge. And lot, most of the fear, the most of the doubts, they are coming from unknowing or from some misunderstanding. And when people know the proper knowledge, most of the fear can already disappear. They know how their body working, how to breathe properly, what exactly happens when they hold the breath. They are not dying, mm. even they have very strong urge to breathe. They're still not dying, they still have a lot of oxygen and so on, and it helps already a lot. And then, the let, let's say next stage, it will be about real experience. We always start from static, static apnea, when you hold the breath without moving. Uh, and this is the foundation and, and the basic. When you uh, apply your new skills, how to breathe before the dive and how to breathe after the dive, yep. you can apply it in the pool and you can try to be relaxed without moving, yep. without any... Uh, Tension in your body. Of the yeah, 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 yeah. But at the same time, on one hand, it is very basic discipline in free diving. On the other hand, it is one of the most difficult mentally. Yeah. Because in other disciplines, you can be focused on technique, on equalization, on different stuff. In static, you have to be dead. Hmm. You have to die and you have to switch over the mind. Yeah. And it is very difficult for many people because we have small monkey in the head, which is always sticking with us. Yeah. Ah, what, I, what are you doing here? <laughs> yourself, and so on. And it's interesting to meet with monkey and to find some agreement, to find how to calm mm. down. So I, I like static, and, yeah. but I know a lot of people who can dive really deep and perhaps, perhaps uh, 
a very good performance mm. for deep diving or for dynamics, but uh, they hate that. Yeah. Because of this, uh, uh, like, sitting in the yeah. bed and because, they get uh, bored, just play and do nothing. It becomes a distraction if you've actually got something to do. You sort of sudden you no longer have to just fully focus on the mind. It's interesting because I use breath holds in some of the techniques that I do in my uh, stress and anxiety program. And I think one of the biggest fears that as a humans we have, or the innate fears we have, is the innate fear of suffocation, right? So if we can put people into a position where they're holding the breath, just even laying in their bed, relaxing, but you get them to keep holding it so they feel that urge of their suffocating, but then try and stay calm in the mind, it creates that... Uh, like the psychophysiological change, the dynamic in terms of, uh, I guess it's the knowledge that you're gaining from the fact that actually you can you can suffer to a certain extent and still be fine and come out okay at the end of it. And I think that's the experience of, I guess, diving is exactly the same thing. Whereas I was diving, when I was diving yesterday, I, I knew that when I was at seven or eight meters, I was holding my breath, start to feel the diaphragmatic contractions come on. And I'm like, okay, well, now it's time to come up. But then when I finally got to the top, I wasn't really gasping for breath. It wasn't like, like you would, after, you know, 30 minutes of Insanity X, I noticed that I probably could have held my breath for a little bit longer. And I think that, is it the experience of just continually diving that you just learn to say, hey, actually my body can do more than that or my mind, the mind allows you to then take a step further with your body. Uh, yeah, of course. Actually, there are, again, like two sides here. One thing, with some experience, your diaphragm becomes more flexible, your intercostal muscles become more flexible, and it becomes not so painful. You can okay. even start, at some point, you even start to enjoy your contraction. Oh, really? It becomes softer, we do a lot of exercises, a lot of stretching for diaphragm, and at some point you really enjoy it. Like, wow, today I have very gentle contraction, and so nice. Mm. So, even this discomfort, you can find something pleasant. Of course, at some point, it will, it will be not enjoyable anymore, yeah. it will be painful and so on, but you can really expand uh, your ability to hold the breath with, with this training, and this is what we are doing. And the other side, it's about mental, again, um, it's connected to your mental state. There is difference between pain and suffering. Hmm. When, you, when you just have pain, let's say you cut your finger, you, you can absorb the pain. Okay, I have the pain, I need to do something, I need to treat myself or whatever. Or you can involve your mind and you start to suffer. You start to like feel this pain, like, ah, I'm dying, I'm bleeding or whatever. And when you start to connect your mind to physical sensations, it becomes much more, uh, much harder. and this is the real uh, suffer. Yeah. So the idea again, and it, uh, the static teaches us a lot about it, that you can absorb your sensations without being involved. So you become like just observer, and mm. you observe it from outside. And this is what makes free uh, diving and especially static connected to meditation. Yeah. And you course. do meditation when you observe your breathing, and you do not react on any sensations. Maybe you have strong pain in your back, but you don't react. Mm. Just keep absorbing your breath. The same you can do during the static, but during the static you do not have breath, you need to find some work for your brain, let's say, make it busy, but do not, so when your brain becomes, when your mind becomes busy, you 
can keep it busy and do not react on this uh, irritating symptoms or painful symptoms or whatever yeah so it's, it's like a separation as as if you've got an observer in your mind you're also aware of the feeling but the feeling is not controlling it's yep. it's it's not saying hey look because pain's a sign for the general in, individual it's like okay you need to stop what you're doing right now because there's a, an issue going on but for uh the majority of people who can maybe suffer more it's 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 extending that pain saying hey is is the story you're living to the pain the truth or is it just what you've been that you, you you're accepting right now whereas if you've got an observer to to observe the story you're actually speaking you can then change the narrative um and then that allows you to progress with anything really you know the skills that you need for free diving the skills that you need for hard work in exercise hard work in terms of starting a business it's it's all being able to uh, be willing to suffer the word passion at the end of the day is, is derived from suffering uh, the, the passion of christ is, is all about the suffering of christ and the if you're passionate about something you can suffer or willing to go further for that and so i think it's uh, the skills you're teaching there uh you know applicable to to all life um you mentioned about breath breathing bef- that you bef- do before the dive uh-huh. and breathing that you do after um i'm interested in delving a little bit into to what you're doing there because i know obviously there's the build up of carbon dioxide in the body which is, is causing you to ventilate but we don't want to offload all that carbon dioxide because then you get a false sense of security and you can have shallow water blackout and that cause issues so what really is the uh, I guess, in your opinion, the ideal way to, to breathe at the beginning of a, a dive. Yeah, sure. So, uh, this is one of the um, basic skills, let's say, and one of the most important parts in free diving, how we prepare ourselves for the dive. And the main goal before the dive is to be completely relaxed. So, the most relaxed we are in our life when we are sleeping. It should be the same state. We okay. are just like staying in the pool or laying in the water, breathing a snorkel or laying on the back, breathe through the mouth, and you try to be completely relaxed. And again, you can use any technique which helps you to be more relaxed. It can be body scan, it can be any meditation or whatever. And uh, we breathe normally. It's just natural, normal breathing. If you feel that your breath is a little bit deeper than normal, uh, you can a little bit extend your exhalation. Because when, when we extend an exhalation, we become more relaxed. And our heart rate becomes slower, so, the main goal is to be completely relaxed. Mm-hmm. And usually it takes a couple of minutes for preparation, to breathe normally. And when you feel that you are ready for the dive, we can do a couple of relaxed deep breaths. Again, it shouldn't be full one, it shouldn't be intense one. It's just a little bit deeper, maybe, uh, maybe 60% from your lungs, to release a little bit excess CO2 if we have it. And then just one deep final breath, and we dive down, and this is it. And as more experienced you are, as less you need this preparational breath. Let's say some uh, most of the top athletes, when you check video from competitions, they don't do any preparational breath. They just play brief. It looks like they're dead mm. for a few minutes, and then one final one breath. One final breath, and then go down. 
as you told, they, we, we want carbon dioxide. We don't want to cheat our body. And this is one of the big mistakes what people do. Uh, they do hyperventilation. Mm. They breathe too much. Uh, so we, they release carbon dioxide from the body. And on one hand, it's good. It means you can hold the breath longer. But on the other hand, it becomes too dangerous because you ought to breathe, you come too late. And also, it's uh, related to a lot of uh, physiological changes in our body. So, um, uh, like bore effect, uh, mm -hmm. the um, oxygen, we keep it in the blood, we don't release it to the cells. And cerebral water constriction, when we have less blood to the brain, and so on. So, hyperventilation doesn't give any advantages for free diving. And this is why we, and it, it has only danger, especially for beginners. Yeah. This is why we really focus on it. And we always observe how people breathe and uh, encourage them to don't breathe too much. Mm. To work on relaxation instead of doing any manipulation with breathing. So this is regarding preparational breath. And uh, when you return back after the dive, uh, we do recovery breathing. The idea of recovery breathing that you do uh, fast, forceful inhale, and then there are two approaches. One, you do short breath hold, like two, three seconds, and then passive exhale to the half lung. So half lung okay. always should be with the uh, air. It uh, looks like... <gasps> 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 One so we create this extra pressure, a little bit extra pressure mm -hmm. in the lungs, and it helps oxygen to go faster to the blood and yeah. it helps us to recover faster. And the other approach is similar but has a small difference. We don't do a breath hold, but when we exhale we create a little bit resistance with the lips. So first, huh? first. the same idea we create a little bit extra pressure in the lungs yeah. but without this holding yeah. we just uh, by creating resistance, we dilating the alveoli yeah. into pressure, pressure the alveoli yeah. a little bit more expanded so they can get the air in there faster. Yeah, yeah. Sure. And uh, usually we take four or five recovery breaths, and it's enough five. to be completely recovered. Four. And recovery breath should be the automatic reflex. Mm -hmm. it doesn't matter how deep you do, uh, you are diving when you come back. First thing always should be recovery breath. So it should be really like a habit. And you don't, uh, we need it again regarding safety. If you are in, let's say, close to your limit, uh, you don't need to think about it. You come up and you, your body will do it automatically. Mm. You don't need to use your attention to, to think what I, I have to do. So, yeah. And it, quite often it becomes the habit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, recently I had a funny situation. In the pool, I showed guys how to do no things, uh, how to move the legs. And I was swimming on the surface with a snorkel, just showing the, uh, the movement of the legs. And then I extend to the bottom of the pool, come up, remove snorkel from the mouth, and start to do recovery breath. <laughs> <laughs> just because in my head, when I look at the, at the students and they come up from the water, I have to do recovery breath. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I even didn't think about it, and everyone started laughing and like, <laughs> What are you doing? <laughs> and only after I recognized that something is wrong. I don't need to do it. I was breathing through the circle. So it, it means it, it's good. It, it, it becomes really the reflex and mm -hmm. I don't need to think about it. Yeah. It just happens. Yeah. So when you see people who are um, 
you know, doing free dive records and they're really pushing, I think it's, you know, they're like pushing over 100 meters now, aren't they? And some, some of the um, divers. When they're coming back up, are they getting to the point where they are blacking out or is, are they, do they know they're safe? Like, are they, how, how far are they pushing their bodies? Uh, let's say, uh, regarding blackout, I always tell that what we are doing here, this is recreational free diving. Yeah. And in recreational free diving, blackout is very, very, very rare. Yeah. If you follow the rules, if you do everything properly, like don't hyperventilate, don't push the limits and so on, you're always safe. Mm. I personally never had blackout. Yeah. I love myself too much. I <laughs> my brain. <laughs> uh, at the end of the day, it's all about your priority. Of course. What is more important for you, the number or your own health, let's say. In competitions, this is a different story. Why? Because in competitions, people are really pushing the limit. Mm -hmm. They are going Whoa. beyond the limit or close to the limit. And uh, also, there is a threat from competition itself or some threat from environment, maybe to cold water or whatever. Mm -hmm. And of course, blackout happens. Uh, and uh, there is a big team of uh, safety who always provide, we always meet divers on one side of the dive and we come together to the surface. And mostly, let's say, if blackout or samba, lots of motor control, if it happens, it happens on the surface. Yeah. There is much more chance. So as closer we are to the surface, is more chance. And this is again the importance of recovery breathing, because we need to recover our oxygen level as fast as possible. Even we start to breathe, it takes some time for oxygen to come to the brain. So this is why recovery breathing is so important to uh, speed up the process. The yeah, 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 yeah. To, to force this recovery. Uh, it can it can happen under the water in in case person really push hmm. uh, himself too much. And uh, in that case, they have safety divers who bring them to the surface, who wake them up. Usually, if they work fast and uh, if everything um, was done properly in few seconds person wake up and that's normal again happens. yeah I didn't even realize uh, yeah I fuck up my <laughs> dive yeah and this is it yeah so uh, in uh, all free dive divers competition history it was maybe just a couple of blackouts deeper than let's say 30 meters when people really push themselves too much Usually it happens very close to the surface or already on the surface. Mm -hmm. I just want to delve into what sort of techniques do, would you use when people start wanting to go a bit deeper? So if they want to start going past 20, 30 meters, you said that's when you have to delve into more advanced um, techniques. What, what sort of stuff do you do there? And uh, is there any focus on particular techniques that you use to build tolerance to CO2? Actually, the more, uh, let's say when we speak about deep diving, we have always three limitations. First one, it will be breath holdability itself. And breath holdability, you can um, train even on the surface. You even don't need to go to the water. You can do static or you can do some apnea cycling or apnea walking, whatever. And the second limitation, it will be equalization. And uh, there are a lot of... Um, um, troubles and difficulties connected to equalization. Probably for most of the people, this is the main issue. Uh, and the last one, but 
not the least one, the most important one regarding the physical health, it will be the flexibility of the chest okay. and uh, the flexibility of the lung tissue. Mm-hmm. Because for deep diving, one of the most uh, common uh, injuries, it will be uh, lung squeeze when we injured our lung tissue. And uh, there are different reasons uh, of that. It can be lack of relaxation or too strong contractions or not enough flexibility in the chest or just lack of adaptation. So uh, we need time to involve our dive reflex, uh, mm-hmm. to train it and so on. And why I tell that uh, up to 30 meters is safe uh, and it's possible for everyone because uh, for normal people, uh, we reach our residual volume on about 30 meters. So our residual volume is about one fourth mm-hmm. of our total lung capacity. Yeah. And when you reach your residual volume, your lungs cannot be compressed anymore. Yeah. Uh, they can be, uh, it can be injured. <laughs> this is why uh, yeah, we collapse, need to right? train our dive reflex because one of the one part of dive reflex is called blood shift. So when we start to go deeper than 30 meters, the blood from from the core goes to the lungs mm-hmm. and our lungs like swelling by blood okay. and blood protects our lungs from squeezing. Yeah. This is why people can dive up to hundred meters and if you calculate the pressure their lungs should be like uh, like a metal. Yeah. yeah, smaller, yeah. But it, it, uh, it don't become as small because the blood come inside the lungs and protect the lungs from squeezing. Yeah. And okay. this is one of the most important thing which we have to train. We have to train our flexibility and we have to train our dive reflex to be able to handle the pressure mm. when we start to go deeper than 30, 40 meters. Yep. So how, how do you, tra- is that, you're training that in the water or you're training that outside? Because I know obviously when we just did that breath work at the end of the, the session now, you, you, we were doing that blue all the way out and then we're doing the, the vacuum. Yeah, yeah we do, first thing we do a lot of stretching yeah. and especially stretching for the chest area and stretching with empty lungs. So your, as I told you, the diaphragm can be much more flexible mm. and uh, we have to work a lot on flexibility in our diaphragm, flexibility of our intercostal muscles. So our lungs actually they are very flexible the main limitation the chest so we need to make our chest the rib flexible. the ribs, ribs uh, spine side, yeah. especially this area between um, uh, shoulders blades mm. it's very difficult even with yoga it's very difficult to uh, get access to that area and to stretch that area yeah this is why we also use some props yeah, I had a lady uh, called Barbara Tanzer on my podcast probably a couple of episodes before and we were talking about rib mobility and one of the things she was talking about is we don't really think about the back of our ribs like especially in that area you're talking about it's because we don't really have much sensation of be- even being able to feel that area because there's not necessarily a need to what you're saying right obviously one of the things that we need to do, need to do and just also this is important for for athletes or they're starting to look at this athletes the mobility of the back of the ribs or the ribs in general to be able to expand your uh, your lungs and be able to breathe more efficiently using utilizing less energy so you can you know, probably use more blood flow to the to the legs or the working muscles um but so the techniques that you use is in using props in yoga such as like you know rollers and things like that yeah yeah some uh, yoga props and just uh typical let's say yoga asanas which working on flexibility mm-hmm. on the chest chest opening some back bending twisting 
and so on. And uh, of course, uh, also pranayama and some breathing exercises with Udiyana uh, band, some specific stretching for like empty lung stretching. Yeah. So we can here on dry land we can simulate uh, the deep diving. Okay. We can simulate what happens Five, there, and we can four, do this stretching. Three, yeah. Two, the other one, direction which we have to work it is grab hold itself, and on this level we add uh, empty lung grab hold. So for beginners, let's say there is no any sense to do empty lungs grab hold, but when we start to go deeper, we need to work on our uh, hypoxia, mm -hmm. and also again we can with empty lungs we will become much closer to that state which we have under the water. Mm -hmm. When we dive down after 10 meters, your lungs are already compressed, and there is no full lungs breath hold anymore, and. Uh, so we can do some empty lungs breath holds and also we learn how to handle contractions and how to relax contractions. Ideally to postpone contractions at all. Because okay. for in my opinion, in, in my own experience, contractions are at the depth one of the main reasons of uh, squeeze and uh, okay. one of the main danger. So in my, per my personal diving, I never dive deep with contractions. I know people who can dive really deep, especially when they dive in difficult conditions and cold water and so on. But As in, you, if you notice that you're getting them earlier on in just, early dives, you just, you just don't, oh, okay, so as soon as you get contractions, you'll just come back up again. Yeah, but this, this is my own approach, yeah. because uh, I noticed uh, after some uh, exploration, I discovered that for me this is the main reason yep. of uh, interest. So I always avoid and I always suggest students always to avoid any contraction and we can do it there are some dry again dry exercises empty lungs breath holds to avoid contractions and to postpone them and the last part uh, it has has to be done in the water this is adaptation itself so we need to do dives and the progress should be very slow especially when we start to go deeper than uh, residual volume again uh, we progress very slow. Mm. We add one, two meters. Only. Okay. Uh, let's say you dive to 35 meters, you repeat it a few times, yep. a few sessions maybe. And then you understand, okay, this is my um, like confident depth, you can add one, two meters. And then you repeat it again a few times. And then you add one more meter. Because, and it should be done very consciously, because uh, when you learn proper uh, equalization techniques, when you work a lot on your breath hold abilities, you can easily dive, let's say, to 40, 50, 60 meters, and it will be enough breath hold probably um, to do there. But you have to stop yourself yep. using your mind, yeah. and not allow yourself to go yeah, deeper, yeah. because you know it will be injured. Again, so that's. I can, uh, I can dive to 70, 80 meters, but to go to that state, I need maybe one month training. Yeah. Uh, if I will go and do it now, I will kill myself. Yeah, yeah. Again, it's that, it's that sort of thing of not allowing the uh, ego to, to take over. It's, okay, well, having being the observer, okay, well, actually knowing this is this is the practice, this is what I need to do, rather than saying, ah, it's like someone in the gym. Like, you know, often you see people who, very beginning in the gym, they'll try and lift as heavy weights as possible, and it's, I can lift this, I can lift that, and they get an injury two weeks later. In pre it can be a little bit different because, let's say, for beginners, uh, 
the main limitation will be equalization. Yeah. Equalization. equalization. Okay. They cannot if they don't master their equalization. Yeah. They they couldn't dive deeper than maybe 25, 30, 35 meters. Mm. It will limit them. But as soon as they become a little bit more experienced and they learn more advanced techniques of equalization, yeah. they have endless potential. Yeah. They can go really deep because they learn the techniques which uh, top athletes use. Yeah, okay. And this is uh, where they put themselves in the reach and this is where they have to use their mind. And yeah, okay, yeah. So, how, how, like, I, obviously I've done an advanced scuba diving course and I had no issues with equalizing when you got continuous air going through it was just easy just to relax swallow or just do this but like i say i, I blew, blew my sinuses trying to get down to 10 meters because i descended too fast and i couldn't equalize and i forced it so how do they diff, differ in terms of the actual techniques uh, it's easy, it's easy. in scuba diving and you go very slow yeah. and you have tank. Mm -hmm. So you have a lot of air and you can go as slow as you can, yeah. as you want. Uh, when we do free diving, we go head down, we go much faster. Yeah. And there are a uh, few uh, issues up here. First one is just physics, because when you go head down, you have less air in your sinuses. So there is um, just less pressure because pressure is going to the lungs, you mm -hmm. uh, upside down, and it's just see like physics works like this. It's more difficult to equalize. But when you go six coast, air goes up by itself and it equalizes by itself. Mm, you can of go of course, slow, yes. You have time when you peak, for example, or even pull in the rope. You are going much faster, yeah. and you need to be able to equalize. But there are also some anatomical or physiological issues, let's say, because we have soft pellets, which mm -hmm. is like a door between your nasal cavity and mouth cavity. And for a lot of people, uh, the soft pellet can be the issue, especially if they have tension, if mm -hmm. they have fear, because soft pellets, it is like a protection mechanism for us. Let's say when you do talking, you can have uh, a lot of uh, water inside your Sciences. But you don't have water in, inside the mouth. This is because of soft pellet. Soft pellet, pellet closed and isolates your nasal cavity and mouth cavity. Yep. And uh, in my experience, I work a lot with surfers. Lot of surf most of the surfers, they have difficult equalization. Just naturally, they used to close the soft pellet. Because they, oh, and swimmers, professional swimmers, they also can have problems with equalization because they naturally close the soft pellet. Because they're breathing through their mouth all the time. Still uh, don't want to breathe. And, uh, yeah. They need to reteach the body and they need to learn how to manage the soft pellet. Yeah, okay. And actually we can train it. There are yep. some funny exercises with balloon and you can feel your soft pellet like I move my finger. Yep. Same, I can move my soft pellet. But some people, uh, they can be super relaxed, they can be like very natural in the water, but anatomically they have very big soft pellet mm. and very high limit soft pellet. And as soon as they go head down, just it floats by up. Uh, gravity force. Yeah, 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 yeah. And for so. them it can be again very difficult to open it. Because it doesn't matter what kind of technique do you use, if this door closed, you can push the air, you can blow, you can do whatever you want. But mm -hmm. air will not come to your little cavity because the door is closed. Yeah. And sometimes it's very funny when people sit in here and 
put uh, like put balloon in the nostril and do some <laughs> funny exercises. So, like uh, this time with balloon, put balloon to the mouth, deflate mm. to the nose, put balloon to the nose, deflate to the mouth, and there are plenty of different exercises. But idea of all of them to teach the soft palate yeah. to be able to. Open. Yeah. So you're opening your epiglottis, clo- opening and closing your epiglottis and using... No, your, the glottis is here. We yeah. don't use epiglottis. Yeah. We use glottis. Yeah. Uh, and soft palate... Uh, it's so a back of your tongue. Is, uh, one door is here. Yeah. Which separates your lower yeah. uh, airways and your mouth. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And soft palate, it is separating your nasal cavity and mouth cavity. Yeah, okay. Because so what, 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 what I'm thinking here is I used to work in the, the sleep industry and there's a, an issue called obstructive sleep apnea and it's all to do with the soft palate falling back and closing off the, the, the airway and people struggle to breathe during their sleep. Actually, snoring, this is moving yeah. soft as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is moving soft And I'm wondering with the exercises that you teach people to recognize their, their soft palate and to be able to manipulate that would be able to then transfer to helping people with sleep apnea and snoring to be Maybe. able to kind of like, okay, well, if I can consciously realize that's there at night time, I might be able to, before I fall asleep, move my soft palate in a certain way. Um, it's just a thought that came to my mind when, when, you, when you were mentioning all that then. Yeah, maybe. I had few students with really heavy soft pellets. Yeah. And even here on dry land, as soon as they start to bend down and head uh, like going down from horizontal yeah. to vertical position, equalization doesn't work, even here on dry land. Yeah, okay. Just because soft pellets like, yep. close everything. And uh, it, it took a really long time for them, like for weeks, to train in the water, here with balloon to manage to work with uh, soft palate and to like manipulate it. Yeah. So that's all the sort of stuff you do here at uh, Freedive Noosa. Uh, so when did you open here seven, seven years ago? Uh, no, in, we came here in December 2016. Okay, so, so yeah, December, five years ago. Yeah, and obviously at the moment it's a bit quiet because there's not many people, tourists and people coming into into Indonesia. But when you when it's busy, I've I've heard the roads down here are pretty much jam packed when it's when it's full um, full with full with tourists. So what would a what would a typical day look like for yourself, taking tourists out, training them? Uh, no, actually, yeah, before. Uh Quarantine started, I had homo instructors here and we were quite busy, uh, we had a lot of people and we, we couldn't, uh, uh, um, like it, it, was, it was really uh, busy and good and uh, last year when everything started it was like switched off and yeah. every, everything became dead. Now I'm only one here because everyone left. But typical day here, we have uh, quite intense days during the training uh, because um, like people, they have a limited time and usually basic course is uh, two and a half days mm-hmm. and uh, we meet here at 8 o'clock, we do some theory in the classroom, dry exercises in the classroom and then if it's the first day to the psychic in the pool, or if it's the second day to the dynamic in uh, confined water in front of the school. We don't have a long pool here, so we use confined water for dynamic, for swimming from distance under the water. And then we have break, and again some theory, and we go by boat to open water, and we do deep session in, in the open water. Usually it takes about a couple of hours. Uh, we just drift in open ocean, deep blue 
yeah. knocking around, uh, both follow us, and then normally up at the end of the session we come to the reef, to the cellular water, and we do some fun diving on the reef. Yeah, all the North Coast, which is it's beautiful. Yeah. We see turtles and a lot of fish. I was out the other day for maybe for about three hours and we just dived along here and then we went down to uh, Blue Corner and uh, we were at Toya Paka mm-hmm. around that area. And it was like uh, with scuba diving, because my air consumption is terrible because I've only just started doing it. I'm only diving maybe 30 to 35 minutes, but with free diving, you can come down or you can float along the top, along the drift. I enjoy just being on the drift and just looking down and probably sort of like you know, eight turtles like uh, uh, barbell rays like all the different types of fish it was it was a beautiful experience i didn't get bored and like, at all <laughs> yeah the deep diving one of the highlights of Nusikini. i always like it and uh, you just dive down and you really fly and yeah. you do nothing you come to neutral buoyancy like 10 12 meters and then you can fly along the corals and yeah it was fantastic um so then yeah in terms of free diving stages obviously you do ssi is there is there more than is it just ssi that does free diving or is there multiple uh, emotional year or more than year we moved mostly to Montana's courses okay. and we also make courses longer and he's the world record holder in multiple world records uh, Alex, yeah. Alexei Montana's yeah. I can tell that um, like nowadays Montana's is the, the most modern one and yeah. the most active developing mm-hmm. it's still developing there are new changes all the time but the team is uh, the educational team, it's a relatively board. new sport really though isn't it in, yeah. in general things yeah. so, uh, so what what, uh, what sort of um, stages are there and what do you recommend people do if they kind of want to get into free diving um, yeah like no, actually there are different systems but yep. uh, the physics flow the physiology is the same yeah. so there are some different requirements different teaching materials but the idea is almost the same and mostly the basic course uh, in most of the schools uh, it uh, takes two days, we do it in three days, because we, in our conditions and for our students, we recognize that two days is not enough for many people, and uh, we add one more extra open water session, even it can be uh, maybe not good uh, regarding business side, but it's very good regarding experience uh, and uh, regarding quality of the teaching. So we changed to like one health year, we changed and the basic course now it takes two and a half days for us and like for basic course everyone can apply you don't need any previous experience you just need to swim, uh, be able to swim mm-hmm. let's say and nothing else and if there is no difficulty with equalization most of the people in these two three days they able to dive after 15 20 minutes so uh, then the main issue is always equalization, yeah. and uh, but even if they have issues with uh, going head down, they can go hip toes, pulling the rope, and so on. Or it can be also some strong fears because um, with our position and our approach, we have a lot of people who have um, uh, so a lot of fears connected to the water. And yeah. Sources, for example, if they had some strong wipeout and mm-hmm. they got scared and they come to us and they want to 
manage it somehow and uh, they believe that freediving can help and it helps uh, a lot of people even they couldn't uh, equalize maybe but this experience of breath holding it helps a lot we work a lot with surfers here probably this is one of the me measured majority of the students yeah okay it's like wipeout training apnea sort yeah, of training yeah we have even separate course it's called freediving for surfers okay to be honest it's just the same basic course yeah. uh, with a little bit different focuses. We less focus on requirements and um, technique. We want more focus on breath holding and on mental state. Yeah. On psychology of breath uh, holding and on differences between pre diving and surfing because mm -hmm. it's completely opposite activity, let's say. And then after basic course, if people want to continue, they can come to advanced course, uh, level 2 or wave 2, and it takes 3-4 days. Uh, but it makes sense to go there when you're already confidently and comfortably diving up to 18-20 meters. Mm -hmm. So for most of the people after basic course, they need some extra training. Or also, it's quite often we get requests from people uh, like, oh, I never did any course, but I want, uh, I have my own experience in still fishing or free diving, can I join straight to level 2 course, I don't mm -hmm. want to do basic and so on. And I always explain them that you need to, to have, you need to know the basics. On basic course, you get the foundation. How to breathe properly, how to equalize properly, all the foundations. How to deal with blackout, how to avoid blackout. And just if we skip the knowledge, you need to be, you need to know how to behave on the buoy. You need to know how to dive along the rope up to 18, 20 meters. If you have all these knowledge and skills, you can easily go for uh, level two course. And on level two course, we are going deeper. It's up to 30 meters. We work, we started to work on free falling. Uh, so from certain depth up to about 50 meters, we just start falling down without any. Yeah. Negative buoyancy. It's just like flying to the top. <laughs> and it, for me personally, it is one of the most uh, exciting things in freediving when you kick and kick and kick and kick and then just relaxing and falling down without any. Uh, but you need to you need to learn how to do it properly, how to position your body, how to relax and mm -hmm. so on. Uh, and on in Malsanov, for example, also we work on no field technique. Motanov is the only system which uh, uh, makes no field part of uh, typical courses. In SSI, for example, there is specialty course about mm -hmm. no field, yeah. but it's not part of the normal courses. And in any other system, they don't really teach no field so much. And for many people, no field is the biggest issue in uh, advanced sports. If they never did it, because you need to have good flexibility in the hips, yeah. in the shoulders, and you need to have good coordination. And in my experience, like probably it is, I can tell on if on basic course the equalization is the main issue. On level two course, the no fins <laughs> the, the main issue for many people. I'd be screwed. My shoulders and my hips. <laughs> Spent uh, 15 years <laughs> as sat at a desk. <laughs> 16 years training weights. <laughs> yeah. This is why I told today that when we do yoga and uh, some stretching, we mostly focus on 
test opening and on kit opening. There's mm. like two main areas which we have to work on. Yeah. And that's for the majority of people in, in modern day yeah. society, right? We're all just sat down at desks. And like, uh, I think uh, I wrote an article like, what is health the other day and put it on my blog on my, my website. And one of the things was um, you know, movement, you know, being able to move functionally to be able to go through your day, like being able to pick up your child without being concerned about hurting your back. We're being able to sit like this for more than 10 minutes without going, oh, you know, it's it's in painful that, that that to me is just what health should be that's a it's a part of it and we have so many people who can't even do that sort of stuff nowadays because of uh, the likes of satin buildings and just being still for eight hours a day yeah yeah and so and after this level two course the uh next one the next step it's level three course uh which is already kind of uh, semi-professional i can tell because we start to go deeper than uh, with the volume and mm -hmm. it takes uh, more preparation and longer time. Uh, I don't really like to teach level three course itself because we uh, it's possible to teach it in six seven days, but for most of the people it's not enough. It's too short time. So instead of this short course, we offer here one month internship, one month master course, and most of the schools they offer the same. And this master course will include. Uh, level 3 course plus a lot of extra training and it is really uh, kind of complete program and during master course it's not short course when people just the customers they become part of the team they train we train together they do a lot of cross training we've seen we do interval training here we do gym mm. we do yoga yeah. we do swimming so like almost every day they do some training we, we need to have rest for diving for sure normal schedule like two three days diving one day rest yep so we need to have rest from breath holding from hypoxia yeah dangerous like to the brain and to the body yeah. one two days per week should be no breath hold at all yeah uh, to, to give time for body to recover but it is really comprehensive and deep course and usually after master course uh, people are ready for instructor course so master course can be good preparation for instructor course and in master course you can be really focused on your own performance and like do all all the performances but if you want to make a next step and become professional and become an instructor the focus will be changed you will not be focused on your own performance anymore you will be focused on your instructor and not on your students and uh, this is one of the problems for many instructors uh, when you are working in busy school and you have a lot of students, you usually don't have time for your own mm. training and it's difficult to find motivation, to, to find the power to do your own training. And uh, I know, I have a few friends who, uh, who is like good, uh, really good uh, competitors and they were working in the school, but for their own training, they make kind of long holidays, yeah, yeah. maybe a couple of months, go in another school. <laughs> Pay them money and do teach you, yeah, yeah, yeah. Base yeah, just to be away from the teacher. Have the accountability and just be like, right, I'm not doing any of this. Like, I literally need to get into my own zone now because it's, it's well, yeah. yeah. If you want to be a, a high level free diver, it's commitment, right? And if you want to be a, a good instructor, it's commitment to being a good instructor at the same time. So, for uh, let's say if you speak about uh, student courses, for most of the systems, they have these three levels and they dive up to 40 meters. 
Multanums the only thing to which have also level four, mm -hmm. uh, which is developed for more for competitors. So it's uh, focused a lot on uh, deep, uh, deep diving on some re techniques which is really used by competitors and so on, and not so much instructors mm -hmm. who can teach even this way four horse. I can teach way four and also I'm instructor trainer. So the next step for people if they want to be professionals it can be instructor course if they want to uh, make free diving as their profession or for some people it can be just like one more achievement yeah yeah uh, next goal I can tell about me when I did my instructor course I didn't want to do to become a real instructor if like eight years ago if someone told me I will be full-time instructor <laughs> I, I, I could laugh like Come on, I'm computer engineer. I, I, people. I, I do. I did it just for myself to share my passion with yeah, friends, yeah. with my wife, with, like. And then because we were working remotely, we were traveling around. Yeah. Uh, we just started to organize some free dive trips or free dive camps. We came, I don't know, to Philippines, and we call all the friends like, "Oh, guys, we're gonna stay one month in Philippines, or we're gonna stay two months in Dahab. Come and dive with us." And I was. First time I was teaching even for free or for some small money, it was not something like serious for me. I had other way to for income, and uh, it was really like sharing the passion. And then at some point, I understood that I like it more and more. And uh, in 2015, I understood like I want to change. I don't want to have office. I don't want to spend like. Eight ten hours in front of the computer anymore. I prefer to have my office in the teeth. Yeah, <laughs> and like it's beautiful to see what you've uh, you know, you've all, you've created here from going from a computer you know, from an engineer to to this. It's fantastic. Yeah, and uh, at the end of the day, finally, when we opened the school, I started to spend again a lot of time in front of the computer. Yeah, of all course. The marketing yeah. that I'm doing and all the even website I created by myself. I still have a lot of background from yeah. IT and all the computer work I do by myself yeah. and to make everyone busy, to make everything alive, I have to you spend a lot of time in front of the computer and yeah. I can tell I spend more time <laughs> there and if you compare with time in the ocean on the, in yeah, the okay. classroom. So just to wrap up then, uh, so if anyone in, in future when we're, you're allowed to open up and people can come down to Nusa Panita and see you, how do they get hold of you and get in touch to, to book courses or anything like that? Uh, we have our website, freediagnosa.com. We have uh, Instagram, freediagnosa, Facebook, freediagnosa. So if you search freediagnosa, you can easily find us. There is no problem. Yeah. There is uh, on website and on Instagram, there is uh, a yeah. WhatsApp number. I'll put that all in the in the show notes so people can can click on it and find them. Yeah, it's easy and uh, we open and very easy to reach and usually I'm very fast to answer. And the kombucha here is great as well. <laughs> yeah, kombucha and water kefir and a uh, lot of other stuff. <laughs> uh, thank you very much. Thanks for your for your time and for sharing your knowledge and sharing your, your yoga and allowing us to come to this beautiful space. I appreciate it. You are welcome. Thank you for inviting.